Let's go, let's go. Go, 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 go. You're listening to Music Well. So my name's Steven Sysom here in Santa Barbara, California, uh, and I'm uh, a music lover. Yeah, like a lot of people are. So this podcast is called Music Well, and the purpose behind it is to focus on a few songs and how they treat a particular topic. It's an effort to do musical analysis, lyrical analysis. And slow down and think about why we like specific songs. It's also a project to learn about new music. So I have an ambition and a desire to introduce people to new music. And not just for the sake of because it sounds good, but also because it has something to teach. And so we're calling it Music Well. Because it has well, that's a twofold meaning. First, I want to learn how to listen to music well, and I think also music itself, when done well or when time is put into it, it is like a well that we can put a bucket into and reach deeper and deeper and draw learning from. We can draw lessons from it. So music has something to teach us. And we, as we come to music, have tools where we can get the most out of it, and we become better and better at it. I had a unique experience growing up with music. My mom worked for the city of Mountain View, and as a young child, she would take my brothers and I to the Shoreline Amphitheater, and she got first dibs on tickets because she was a city employee. And we would go see all kinds of shows, festivals. We even went to Lilith Fair as little boys, which is an all women's like pro women uh, festival. Sarah McLaughlin was it? Melissa Etheridge, that kind of thing. But that was really good exposure for me to learn about new styles of music. And then later on, still growing up in the Bay Area, I started listening to college radio、uh, in my early mid twenties, and that just drastically expanded my horizons. I just All of a sudden, got an insatiable desire to learn about music and see what else was out there, and really, that's just where I've been at ever since.、Uh, I'm Vas、uh, Totorico. I am also a music lover.、Um, I grew up in a very musical family, and it's hard to explain. It's like it was musical, but in a very limited range of music. So there wasn't an openness to music, but music was very, very prevalent. To, I'm sorry. It wasn't a lot of exposure to lots of different music, but music was very prevalent in my life. So, I grew up in a Russian-speaking Baptist church in the U.S., and、uh, we were immigrants from the former Soviet Union. And you know, every that was our big community that、um, where 
you know, you didn't have much of anything else but music and then the word of the sermon, which is, you know, you can't just have sermons, you need something to kind of liven up the liven up the place, and so music was the only other thing we could really do, uh, and poetry, actually. Mm. But, um, but, you know, I think in that kind of environment, that was just, like, instilled into us for a very... For like very strongly, and we would. I'd be in choirs. I would uh, be taught how to play piano. Taught, uh, was really strongly forced, forced, I would say, to do uh, to play violin and take lessons. And so I did violin most of my life until I was about thirteen. And then I got sick of my middle school teacher's uh, orchestral like uh, orchestra conductor how she uh, led the orchestra. So I quit. And I could, I realized uh, that whole year, 13 to 14, I, I didn't really know what to do with myself. Mm. Uh, because I'd quit the violin, and, uh, but I still wanted music in my life. And I think that's when I discovered around 14 um, the guitar. And I thought, that's cool. That's like the cool, you know, teenager <laughs> thing to do right now. So I picked that up and I've been playing ever since. So yeah, I've done music projects, played in churches. Uh, Done open mics, written, been in a band. Uh, and you're currently in a band. Currently in a band. Anyway, that's yeah. My, yeah. all my background. But I, I really started to open up my music uh, horizons in in high school when I was about 15. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been a ride. So yeah, thanks. It's 2018. It's September, and I am guilty as long as well as many other people are of being high rate musical consumers that is that if we're not simply listening to music many hours a day on the radio we're cycling through youtube videos and soundcloud and spotify and pandora and we're logging many 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 hours of our own listening habits but i think there's a danger in that habit and the danger is that we become perfectionists we become and we have particular tastes in music, and when something doesn't fit that taste, we reject it, which makes us uh, less open to other viewpoints, less open to listen to different styles of music, different genres, different artists. And that habit can bleed over into other areas of our life where we become specialists, but self-proclaimed specialists without actual uh, background and an experience in how to evaluate music. So I want to provide critical analysis of the music itself when necessary, um, looking at what the lyrics say and looking at wh- why certain mu- instruments are chosen, the musicality, um, how that all blends together. I also want to draw some hypothetical conclusions which would follow logically from the work, the piece of music. So if a song doesn't explicitly say something, I think we can gain uh, some understanding in where it's going or what we could logically conclude from it. There are also some tools that I want to introduce to us as listeners to music. Um, For example, there is, I'm calling it a scale between profundity and simplicity uh, with music. You can listen to certain artists, especially from the 90s alternative period, where the vocalist is simply using words as another instrument, and the words themselves don't have any particular meaning, but the sound of the words 
are meant to complement the musical instruments. So that would be an example of something that's simple. It's, uh, the lyrics are on a simple side of a spectrum. But you go to songwriter um, examples that like a, like a John Lennon, um, where they have uh, deeper lyrics. Though the lyrics actually mean something, and they're conveying a message. And there, and like any spectrum or scale, there are varying degrees along which artists are found. So some, and even uh, specific artists will go back and forth. Sometimes they'll use words just for the sound of them. Sometimes they'll actually convey a meaning. Uh, we see this in rap, hip-hop um, style, vocal styles, sometimes just prefer the sound of words. Other times with uh, deeper, more profound styles of hip-hop, the lyrics are more profound. So the format will be, we'll play the music and introduce it. And we'll have just a handful of songs that we'll look at that approach uh, the same topic. And the goal, too, for us is to pick songs from different genres that treat the same topic. I think that's helpful, too, to expand our abilities to listen. And, um, and also, the, I mean, it's a very diverse world, and there are many great artists out there with unique perspectives, like a Sufjan Stevens, who's... Just got a fun, interesting, um, outre way of looking at the world, and he puts it into music. So instead of picking just one genre, we'll look at um, a few different styles. Uh, above everything, it's really just to know why a certain song is good and what we can glean from it. So this first song that we're going to look at, it's originally written by Ben Harper. Um, but this version comes from the Henry Poole is Here soundtrack. The artist is John Linton, L-I-N-T-O-N. So he's covering the Ben Harper song, Morning Yearning. Get it right, must I 
Still be learning, must I? Still be learning. Baby crying kept us up all night with her. Morning yearning, morning chosen the songs in this episode which address this topic um, losing hope and regaining it or facing a chaotic external situation that causes chaos inside and when the people in these songs come to the end of their rope what do they do with that so this John Linton song well Ben Harper song Morning Yearning Let's take a look at how it treats this topic. And thinking about the music itself. So it's, again, a singer-songwriter folk kind of style. That's Ben Harper, but he does do a lot of music with blues um, and even rock. So the first part of the song, we're here, we get the introduction with the, the actual instrumentation. And it's a long, languid, weeping violin over a cello that's kind of carrying us and introducing us into what are going to be some powerful lyrics. Um, the acoustic guitar, like we said, is finger-plucking, and it's a straight 4-4 uh, uh, beat, which I think will help in this topic because what he's talking about lyrically is at some point an ongoing never-ending cycle of a day-to-day waking up and a 4-4 it's like a repeatable steady beat that goes through uh, that we're brought up through so that cello and violin it's really kind of languid there's suffering behind it 
And the, yet the guitar is finger plucking, and it's kind of bright and dancey, if you will. And even the the bristles snare tap is sort of light and cloudy in a way. And that's a contrast. That's a musical contrast. I see that as there's a we're in a basement. I almost feel like we're in a basement, in a dark basement of suffering. And the guitar and is bright because it's almost like this light at the top of the staircase through the just barely breaking through the door and we're inspired and encouraged to go seek that even though we're in a difficult situation that's more of a hypothetical uh conclusion to, from the music so the song title is morning yearning and this the first lyrics a fingers touch upon my lips a morning yearning a morning yearning that motion of being in distress you know when your hand touches your mouth and you're picking at your lips you're stressed out you're worried you're anxious about something so he's he starts this song out observing himself he's restless in thought and the first thing in the morning and how often have we been in a situation where we wake up and we haven't been able to escape uh whatever the difficulty is that we're facing even the first thing in the morning pops up and we're struggling to find some kind of peace. He's in a dark time, and the morning is when all the associated pains and worries bear down. That first realization of what do I have to face today? And even where it's a challenge to figure out how am I going to deal with the situation. First thing in the morning, the, the, his mind is restless. He's pulling the curtains uh, shut, trying to keep it dark, but the sun is burning. And... It's almost like he knows what he has to do. He has to get up and face the day. The sun here in this first verse is an enemy to his darkened emotional state. So even his efforts to keep the light at bay are thwarted by the sun's persistence. And that's how it is when we're in a sad state or in a difficult state. There are always good things going on in the world, but they almost sting more. The sun is burning. It's not warm. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not a warm embrace. It's a it's a burning, consuming fire for him. Yeah. We get a preview at the end of the song. The sun will come back in imagery, but it's a different. Uh, there's a different image or meaning associated with it. But for at least for now, like you said, it's burning. It's not a pleasant sensation. Mm-hmm. What I listen to, or what I hear in this uh, singing style, also in this first verse, he's got a clean voice but he'll introduce a slur or like a grovel later on um, as the song goes on and his stresses too if you listen to where he stresses a fingers touch upon my lips it's a morning yearning so the morning yearning part almost drags on my fingers touch upon my lips it's a morning Like, it's a morning yearning. Why won't this just stop? It keeps going on and on. So I found this interesting that why, if he's sad and he's mourning the yearning and the the morning time is a frustration, why didn't he describe it as a gray day? As sort of like what's going on inside of him, he feels that from the outside. Mm. I think that would be almost more appropriate for his mood. But but he doesn't externalize that. Yeah. He says that something is happening inside of him. Mm-hmm. And the world kind of, to quote the other song, the world spins madly on, right? 
it's doing its own thing outside of himself. Mm-hmm. He's aware that he's somehow gray. Yeah. Yeah, he's the gray one, not the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the world awakens on the run and will soon be earning, soon be earning. He's now philosophizing in his sadness. <laughs> I, I'm guilty of that. You get in a depressed state or frustrated state and you start to make these like 30,000 foot observations about the world and about your situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually about how hopeless it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he's saying. It's like the world's just going on and on uh, with hopes of better days to come. Like, why are we in this rat race? Yeah, those, uh, what's it called? Uh, Hopeless fools. Yeah. Right. Yeah, what are they, what's all that activity for? Why do all that stuff? Mm -hmm. Um, It's all, it's all for naught in the end, really. Why do we accelerate our lives so much? And what's the purpose of the busyness? It's because uh, when we're in a happy state, so by contrast, we yearn for something better. And uh, you'd think that earning and working and having purpose would answer all of our yearnings. And we'd say, I no longer yearn for something. I have all that I need. But it's not really true. All of our efforts don't end in happiness. And there's always something more to strive towards. So when the world awakens on the run, it's like as soon as you get out of bed, those other people are ready to face life. But for him, he just wants to stay in bed. And he's frustrated again by that. It's a morning yearning. There's another reason to mourn or lament when, the first thing when he wakes up. With hopes of better days to come It's a morning yearning It's a morning We don't know yet why he feels this way. It's almost like he's just observing the world the way it is, and then his natural response is he's lamenting the way things are. He's frustrated. He's saddened by the way the world spins. So he's starting to go further and further into darkness, into mental, emotional darkness. So we have, and we're having, in this song, we have different types of yearning. So the first one, it's his emotional state. He's anxious. The second one, it's almost like the world is anxious. The whole culture, everywhere around him. This third verse, we get to meet somebody else. And we get to see more of where he's at. He's talking about a baby and a next generation. Baby crying kept us up all night with her morning yearning, morning yearning. So here's where that that vocal style comes in, where he's groveling. Baby crying kept us up all night. It sort of falls apart and kind of fades, even in, in, as the words are coming out of his throat. And that's that's a, a turn in, in the style for this song. So, but there's a tinge of hope. So he's saying another day, another chance to get it right. Um, he returns to commenting about himself, and in, in these words, we feel a lament for what he's done wrong, and how he's how that's led to a current yearning. So, it's remorse over where he's been. Could be. Mm-hmm. Could be uh, doubt. Is it a chance to get it right? 
Or is it like sarcastic? You say, oh, well, another day. Mm. Another day. I guess another chance to get it right. So there's just an element of hopelessness still even in that. It, it could, could be. be. It could yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it might be uh, further cemented with him saying, must I still be learning? Mm-hmm. Right? Why can't I get it right? Yeah, it's a rhetorical question. To get it right, I'm. but why must I still be learning? Mm-hmm. I have these chances to get it right, but I'm not learning it. Yeah. Or I'm, I haven't learned, learned it. I have derived. Yeah. Yeah. And the another, the use of the word another, it's almost monotonous. Like, geez, I'm still in this required cycle of learning. Another day. Here we go. I can't get out of it. And by the way, I'll say, like, because I've recorded songs, too, and vocals in, in songs. Um, there's a very, there's often a very intentional element f- for how words are dictated. How you, not just the tone of singing it, but how you, how it hits the, how it hits the mic. Mm-hmm. So I just said mic instead of mic. Right, so there's there's things there's sort of accents you can um, add into the song that I think are in a lot of songs, a lot more songs than you realize, and uh, it's one thing worth listening to as you like go into further, mm-hmm. further songs and further, yeah, genres. Yeah, why not only the words, why people choose the words they do, but how how it's they enunciate them, expressed, expressed yeah. vocally, yeah, how it's expressed is part of the message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he kind of runs up to baby crying kept us up all night. So now we get an image of him. He's in the morning time. He's sleep deprived. And there's somebody else with him, his partner, the other person responsible for raising this baby. And yeah, it's not like the baby or our baby. It's just baby crying, you know, which is kind of like a good bluesy sort of way of just running through a story. And why is he talking about his baby Mm. and his learning Mm. could it be that he wants to be a better parent or Uh, is it the babies are the epitome of learning mm. also like the mentioning the baby part the baby was doing what it was itself the baby she herself was yearning morning yearning Mm -hmm. which to me as I as I listened to the song was an indicator that maybe the author is saying this is a universal, a human universal. Something that not just he in his adulthood, like this young, whatever, this father being kept up all night by the baby and depressed about the world and the state of things has this morning yearning mm-hmm. or notices the morning yearning, but the baby has that too, mm-hmm. who doesn't have any sense of self quite as as much as he does or or tomorrow or tomorrow or or constancy or a sense of what how the world works etc etc what life has to offer and yet it yearns Mm -hmm. yearning is could be hopeful it could be uh, motivated by a desire for something good that's coming it Mm -hmm. could be the baby could be yearning because it, you know, maybe it recognizes what pain it's in or the chaos. Coming back to the chaos topic, mm-hmm. um, but it's it, why? Why? Why do children? Why do infants? Also, like you said, yearn, cry out for something better. Survival. Mm-hmm. We all want to survive. I mean, the lyrics leading up to this was like, I want to 
basically I just I'm, I'm frustrated with existence mm-hmm. I'm fed up with this and the baby is a reminder of hold up maybe it's not just you maybe this is a universal pattern that we're all living through mm-hmm. and we all have to figure out how to work through this and get through it yeah I think that's also mentioned later on Mm-hmm. After these lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point, between verse 3 and 4, we get a musical interlude. And it starts in a major key on the xylophone, it sounds like, if you can hear it. Um, going upscale with the cello and violin are back, and they meet in the middle um, as the guitar continues to finger pluck. The, var- the xylophone, if you can hear it, it's on super high notes. Um, the last six bars of this musical interlude, they're a strong rise to a major key, so they're almost showing a transition towards hopefulness. And the emphasis is on the one and two count, so it's a new day. So musically, we're, we're taught, we're told, it's not just sad, it's not just sorrow that we have to face. And it fades off, it, it trails off to just the cello and the finger plucking, reminded us to keep hope even in the normal day-to-day stuff. I think with the guitar plucking throughout the entire song and the cello constantly present, that's a reminder uh, or a, a symbol of the world cycling on and on whereas the other musical instruments that come in and out and we're kind of uh, we can find our place in the world um, but the world will continue and we need to choose how we engage with it you said uh, just just now you said that there's a that we have to contend with the the, the suffering or the, the struggle in the world and I think the author is coming to realize maybe you also have to um, contend with the hope in the world but there is something I would what what's the word meaty about that heavy mm-hmm. that there is some grave there's something yeah there's something okay. solid about mm-hmm. that that you do have to contend with it's a formidable thing to to face hope and uh, and contend with it as hard as you contend with the suffering and the malevolence in the world so you're contending with hope is that it's a challenge it, it sounds it like it you, it's not a natural inclination to just jump on board with hope I think it's saying just as tempting as suicide and ending all things might be for somebody who's in a depressive state so is contending with hope mm-hmm. so is listening to where, where is the hope in the world what is good, what is working what is right
So talking about hope, man, it's so beautifully written, that last verse. Like the summer rose, I'm a victim of the fall, but am soon returning, soon returning. So a beautiful image of a beautiful time, summertime. It faces a transition of season. It has to wither. It has to die. But that's not the end, you know. The, the fall is an also in itself a transition towards something else. So he's finally able to recognize the transitions in life. It's just a phase. Yes, he mourns the yearning, but he can still realize that the mourning will change to hope. Like a summer rose, I'm a victim of the fall, but I'm Soon returning, soon returning. Your love's the warmest place the sun ever shines. My morning yearning, morning yearning. Your love's the warmest place. Now here we get here we get it again. The sun ever shines. In the beginning of the song, the sun was an antagonist. It was burning. It was burning. It provoked his already agitated state. And now that he's realized uh, he's going to soon return to a beautiful, warm summer, the sun is no longer an enemy. Yeah. And it's, but it's not just the sun. Uh, he doesn't take hope just in the sun. Now he's connected to his loved one. Your love is the, the warmest place. And listen to the accents. Your love's the warmest place. The sun ever shines vocally lyrically speaking he's connecting his loved one's love with the sun and he can find hope in in this person so the more now morning yearning takes on a different meaning the yearning is no longer oh, i just wish for something better it might now mean this time again might end but i'm in a good place I wake up with a smile on my face and I want this to keep going. It almost feels like a little a little cheesy, a little cheesy because it's like, well, what's the what's the warmest thing you can think of? Oh, the love of my loved ones, you know, or or like love makes the world go round and love keeps the the sun you know, burning or keeps the sun going, keeps the life keeps life in order or whatever. And also, it's just I, I love that the author chose to just just mention it once, you know, and it, and everything else outside of it is is suffering or struggle or pain or something like that, if you want to call it that. And then he just sort of like, no, th- this is where it ends. This is the end of the story. The end is your love's the warmest place. The sun never shines, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. La- two lines, and out of like whatever twenty something lines. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the the cheesy part, I I agree with you. Yeah. It, but it, it kind of works because when we're in love or we feel love, those cheesy cliches are true of us, and we don't mind owning them. I don't mean cheesy in a bad way. I'm yeah. saying I think it's tempting to go down that route for a lot of people when you see those lyrics and think, oh wow. That's just that's just cliche. Like that's a trope. Like mm-hmm. why are you saying that? That's just you 
blindly holding on to hope. And I would argue that no, it's actually the opposite. At least in the context here, he's saying that everything else, life sucks outside of this. And and that has to be, that has to be acknowledged. And like I said a bit earlier, hope has to be acknowledged uh-huh. and contended with. Mm-hmm. And that somehow, like I love his imagery of the fall of the of the rose, like like the summer rose, you, uh, I have to fall. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a victim of the fall, which is an interesting word. Like the fall in in Christian theology is uh, is traditionally understood as like the fall of humankind into you know sinful ways right i'm a victim of the fall is saying like i'm a victim of my own crappy choices in life and and all that and, and then very base nature of the world very base that there nature is of the world. evil there's evil there's suffering there's pain that mm-hmm. sucks and this is not and that's not the warmest place where we see the sun shining mm-hmm. right yeah so it's challenging then uh, to reckon with hope because there are many places and people in positions of life that have no hope they're hopeless I think about Syria right now and the poor many hundreds of thousands of displaced citizens there who almost could lament this song every day they yearn every morning when will this violence stop some people don't yearn not anymore I'm tired of yearning. I'm tired of wanting something else. I'm tired of have, wanting something and having disappointment. And, and not getting the thing, ever. Not having any sense of relief. From that. Mm-hmm. So I understand that completely. But I think it's like... Hmm. When I lived in, when I lived in New England, I, I grew to really appreciate the four seasons, even though... Even though I very much disliked the winter. Very much. Because it was so miserable and brutal and cold and it just it, it it put a damper on all all activity, all your life, all the the, the, the routines, all the patterns that you had, the, the the structure, the comfort, all that for several months. It puts everything in hold. And I noticed something that once winter was over only then could I really appreciate the spring and summer. I, it, it was, it's like a euphoric experience to experience summer and spring after a deep and brutal winter. But I think it's it's the um, it's this old Jewish understanding of you know you can't have uh, one without the other. Mm-hmm. That the that the that a, a full day is night and light. There's light in it and there's night and darkness. Right, that there's both elements to one whole picture. Mm-hmm. So I think the author kind of does that too. But I think you value the hope more when you understand the suffering that that accompanies it. Well, mm-hmm. so it's like a glimmer, but it's there, and it's a powerful image, at least to me. Mm-hmm. Does that glow of living in hope fade away to then where we're, we do good to have another sad, frustrating episode? Or can we kind of perpetually live in hope and weather the storms with a mind of hope? I don't know if we can perpetually live in hope. I think it's, it's great when we have a lot of it and, and it's genuine, right? 
but it's not something that we should aim for, I don't think. I don't think. I think honest living is what we should aim for. Mm-hmm. Honest. I recognize I'm sad. Authentic living, yeah. This is painful. Yeah. I, I'm in winter right now. Yeah, but it requires you being present, you know, to everything. To as much as you can possibly be present for. Mm-hmm. Because it means then you'll, you'll, you'll eventually see the good somewhere. But you have to be willing to see it and be present for it. And the see author, it, I think, was doing that. And see the good in other people, too. Mm. Even if people are the reason why we're suffering, yeah. not everybody is an enemy. And yet I know from experience, when you're sad and frustrated, it's difficult to accept help and hope from somebody else. And how do you convey hope? Yeah. So on one side, you want to give hope to somebody. But on the other side, how do you receive that hope? Right. You don't want to make do it, it your own. You don't want to do it inauthentically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because then it's never latched onto. Mm-hmm. It's just, well, that's... That's um, Stephen spouting, you know, his BS. Doesn't want to get that, you know, whatever his overly over Christianized, over positive, over whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. It's Pollyanna mentality. Pollyanna yeah. mentality. There you go. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. So the song is bookended musically, mm-hmm. and it's it's tidied up. You know, it starts with a nice musical introduction. And it ends, it kind of just stops. There's a one beat note with all the instruments hitting except for the piano and xylophone. And then it just trickles off with a little bit of vibrato. When I listen to that, I think, all right, I've been inspired. I've been taken on this journey with this song. Now I actually have to do something with it. I have to apply those lessons. I have to now go out of the classroom and into the real world and remind myself that, like you're saying, I recognize when things are bad, I have to call for what it is. And I see when good is happening in the world, it doesn't matter. It it almost stings even more. And the world will keep going on. There's, There's a cycle of good and activity. There's a cycle of evil and change. Um, but and I can see even children, even infants know that and feel that, and they have to reckon with it. But that's not the end of the story. It's not a pessimistic song. There's optimism here in this in this work, and he and we end we end on a high note. So this song covers everything: a focus on his own state, a focus on the state of the world, a focus on the baby, meaning the next generation, the future, and then again focus on us. So the last verse, it's a me and a you. It's an us. Mm-hmm. It's a relationship. Mm. Somehow us is where you find more hope, perhaps. Okay, the other song I wanted to look at for this first episode is something I came across on SoundCloud by Anna Tivill, T 
T-I-V-E-L. The song title is Dark Chandelier from Fluff and Gravy Records. Again, singer-songwriter. Um, we'll let this play out and uh, dissect it after. Tommy lies drunk on his own front lawn At three in the morning, his work shirt's still on And he curses the man, and he curses his boss And a cloud rolls past, and the night grows dark In thirty-one years on the And the motor, the seven to four And the face of his daughter, no child anymore Yeah, his wife and his mother, his life and his love And the heat and the rise of a burning shame The pride in the work and the years that he Just a flick of a pin Just a cold handshake What's a man really worth At the end of the day And Tommy stands And the rain starts to fall He catches his step And he heads for the car And he drives past the factory lights in the dark Just a man out of work, just a man out of luck The bar's all empty and the town asleep He presses the pedal, he tears up the street To the edge of the town where the highway leads To the end of the world, to the end of a dream in the headlights the clouds never clear and he's revving the engine he's stripping the gears and the moon on the asphalt his face in the mirror and the rain coming down like a dark chandelier and the radio blast and a song about home and he's flying so fast yeah God and he bargains 
Don't take me tonight. I got work to do yet. What a beautiful song. That voice. Yeah. Musically. It's tender. Yeah. It's another story just like the last one. It's kind of a follows the life of a average Joe. Yeah, average Joe facing the injustice of consumerism is what I'm going to say. You think so? The machine of economy. Mm. His job's been cut with the flick of a pen. All his hopes and dreams wiped out instantly. Mm. It's true. First thing you'll notice with this song is that there are no repeated lyrics. There's no repeated chorus. It's verse after verse after verse, a, a story that's just told from beginning to end. Mm. The music itself, I think, serves as a chorus, if you will, the interludes in between. But the emphasis is on the vocals and the word choice itself. We're just dumped into Tommy's life right away. We see the scene of him drunk on his own front lawn we learn that he's been fired after a long time working uh, for a factory and he's depressed he's sad he's frustrated how could everything that i've worked for be ignored and refused and taken away from me in just an instant this is an attack on his own person it's his own identity that is being threatened so some of the themes that come up in this song, I think, are his our identity and our value as human beings, um, injustice, and pain and suffering, of course. So he's struggling to process this bad news. What does he do with it? He's got his work shirt on. Uh, the story is told in the present tense, so all the verbs are now. It's happening now. Right? This is America today. This could be anybody. It's Tommy, it's Tom, it's John, Jim, Jan, Joe, Janet. <laughs> <laughs> right, there's no past tense in the, in, the, in the lyrics. We're invited to struggle along with Tommy and to feel the immediacy of his firing and his sadness and ultimately his recovery of his self-importance. I think the 6-8 timing further calls us to move through the story. A 6-8 is kind of a swaying, danceable beat. It's similar to a waltz in a way, a 3-4 waltz, but it's, it's a cyclical. It comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. The 6-8 around and around and around. So this is a story of a worker in a part of the world where the factory jobs are common and perhaps the best in that area that anybody can find. It's not true of all people, um, especially in the United States here. But for many people, there aren't corporate white-collar jobs. This is a blue-collar job. Uh, It's probably low-skilled. And that's all that he has in his 31 years. It might be helpful. We want to check out her notes on why she wrote this song. It says... I spent a whole day a while back reading through the stories on the Occupy website. There's that section where people take a picture of their face and they're holding up a handwritten description of what's going on in their lives. I'd never seen it before and got really lost reading through the pages and pages of people's stories. 
lost jobs and healthcare and difficult family situations, and hope for a movement that could do something to help. I wrote Dark Chandelier that same day, just a made-up story inspired by all the things I, I read. So what are your observations on this one? Um, honestly, I was reading, I was rereading through the lyrics and I, and I thought, so Tommy's been a faithful employee at this factory, let's just say, and maybe, maybe the jobs are scarce. Maybe there's scarcity in in that kind of environment, but we don't know. Maybe not. It's a, it's a fictional account, but all we have is just what happened and nothing else about the world around him. But that said... He goes home, gets drunk on his front lawn, and then proceeds to make an impulsive decision to drive into the night. Mm-hmm. Just basically road rage out his self-pity. Mm-hmm. And I kind of resent him for that. Mm-hmm. What he did to his wife and kid right there was he took his own life into his hands and endangered it. You know, for it's there's this. Um, he's impulsive for he's sure. He's impulsive, yeah, and and it costs him his life. He dies at the end. The angels come to take him away. So, I think of this like there's this. Um, well, we don't know if he died. We're left hanging. We're left hanging, but it's pretty Still. obvious that the angels show up and and yeah. they bless him with the gold of their robes against his breast, and uh-huh. uh, the idea is, let's see. And he opens his eyes and he struggles and says, don't take me tonight, I've got work to do yet. Mm-hmm. It, it is ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And yet it sounds like he's in the flames of a car crash. Like the car has crashed and he's burning up inside of it. Yeah. So far as we know, I don't know yet. Yeah. So but, don't mean but, to derail it, but you were saying you resent him. I kind of resent him. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like the story. Mm-hmm. I don't like it because of uh, the choices he's made. And the motor, the seven to four, and the face of his daughter, no child anymore. Yeah, his wife and his mother, his life and his love. And Tommy stands and the rain starts. Catches his step and he heads for the car and he drives past the factory lights in the dark. Just a man out of work, just a man out of luck. So there's this author who was a, a huge proponent. I forget his name. He was a huge proponent of the uh, of the feminist movement. They're, I think it's second wave feminism mm-hmm. in the '60s and '70s. I think that was the second wave. Now mm-hmm. we're in third wave. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he was a big, uh, a big, big sort of um, advocate and, and, a, and an author and a professor at the time. And he essentially wrote this book called the, the Myth of Male Power. And he argues in the book that, you know, the feminist theory says that women have become, women either have become or are sexual objects, right, in society. They serve a, a sexual purpose, right? And even that's true of re- reproductively, right? They make children, mm-hmm. and they you, you are, are sort of forced. It's foisted upon you. You have to, you have to feed this child, you know, because you carried it and it came from your womb. There's also like this inherent sort of attachment to the child, right? 
so that so there's already sexuality behind that but he says then for men you're you're not a sex object you're a success object mm-hmm. and how and I, I apply that to this example of tommy right he only sees himself in terms of how much success he can bring to his family yeah and his his worth is determined it, by his uh by his, his employment his employment yep his economic metrics exactly mm-hmm. and it's one of the most brutal things you could do to a guy is uh give him nothing to do and no money to reimburse him for it right and that's the sting that he's that sends him off is when the um when he meets with his boss uh and with the flick of a pen it's over right 31 years on the factory floor the grease in the motors he's been grinding it out for 31 years yeah. and he's and it's not just for him because in That's this exactly second verse he is. says yeah. the face of his daughter is not a child anymore his wife and his mother his life and his love so that's my point that's though. why he's worked and that's my point though it's not about him and he knows that he knows that damn well right and yet his and yet, actions are selfish is what you're saying yes it's only about he's it's as if it's he's only, the only one suffering right it's it's as if he's the only one suffering mm-hmm. or as if there's no other options in the world mm-hmm. there's nothing that you could do about this mm-hmm. or you know that you could do to mitigate the problem right because we we have like we have these low points in our lives like is the answer then oh, I'll just do something reckless to like to cope or to like feed myself pity yeah I don't know it's so, just a thought no it's a good thought and more it makes me assume that how could somebody get to that point mm-hmm. so we look at Tommy's decision his des- out of destitution he says I have no other options I'm just going to end it so what we learn from him is that He's placed all his value in his work right. instead of what? What could he have done? So he might have still faced the same situation, the getting fired from his factory right. job, but he could have had a different outcome. And I think that's the one of the lessons from this song is not to associate all of our identity in our work because... Particularly, particularly as men, perhaps. Uh-huh. Because that's where our temptation lies. Once you yeah, settle down into family life and whatnot, that's the temptation. And we right. also egg each other on and challenge each other. And right. um, you know, I can do more than you. Right? You're not going to work overtime. Mm-hmm. Or are you like, you know, you know, what are you whipped? You going home with your kids, wife and kids? You don't, you don't want to like, yeah, work yeah. for the company or whatever. And know. I've worked enough sales jobs and bit from the Bay Area to see that that's true. Right. Too much. Yeah. So. Right. So. Tommy's value is taken away, but it's it's a, almost a curse that he brought on himself. Right. Because what could have been his backup plan? That's true. There's this unintentional um, side effect or consequence of the the work, the hardcore work ethic that um, a lot of I, I, I don't know if it's a lot of men, but I would just say the temptation there that it is like I have to work hard for my family, right? So there's a there's a an unintended side effect which is that I'm not present. I'm the absent dad. Right? When children and your partner that's what they want. They want to see their dad. They want you to be around. And he took that already present prob- problem perhaps assuming that he was the you know the the blue collar, tough, uh, hard working dude, 
mm-hmm. from let's say a, like a town in like a steel mill or something. I don't know. Let's just assume that. Um, what that uh, he then he then further endangers that and 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 further widens that gap by saying by by taking his life into his own hands mm-hmm. and and risking it risking it by like speeding barreling down a street drunk mm-hmm. you know it's like your kid your kid and your wife don't have you around enough why are you doing something that makes you not makes you more likely not to be around forever mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. I just that he couldn't. Have, he he could have redeemed the situation by um, being clo- drawing closer to his family. I think that would have been my temptation. Open them up. Open up to them. Hey, this is an opportunity for mm-hmm. me to be with my family. Mm-hmm. Like, what would it be like for me to like? You know, I'll look for work. I'll try. I'll sign up for unemployment or whatever. But like, maybe this is a perfect time for me to like see what is. This is like the last song, right? Yeah. All, when all you see is what's negative and problem, when you see your pain, you don't see. It's hard to see anything else. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It really is hard. I know that. Yeah, and the problem is exacerbated, obviously, by alcohol. Yep. So, ding, ding, ding. We make unwise choices when we get drunk, but it's a choice to get drunk. It's true. It's never an excuse to say, "Well, I was drunk. That's why this thing happened, or I did this thing." Right. No, you, it's a precedent <clears throat> decision. I love how we're having like an ethical discussion about this, but I think that, I think you're right. Like I think then w- what has to be the conversation is partly what do we do about what what is our ethic around alcohol? You mm-hmm. know how how uh, responsible and um, uh, considerate are we of that of that kind of factor in our lives? Because it's like it's one of the leading um, what would you say? It's a it's a leading it's a, it's a large contributing factor to rape culture on college campuses right now. Like ask any story, like ask anybody who's been in that situation where like I was date raped, and ask them how much alcohol was involved, if at all. Mm-hmm. I would wager to say it's high. Mm-hmm. Too high. Probably too. Yeah, high. anything over zero. Right. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Um. So alcohol is and then, involved, but this, and even alcoholism, impulse, or yeah. as an as a factor in uh, sexual assault, is a symptom of something else. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So then, the, the, the moral conversation is: what's behind that? Mm-hmm. Why are you drinking? Why do you feel compelled to drink? To so, you know, what, do you, you know, was Tommy already the kind of guy that was like, I'm frustrated at work, or I'm sorry, at home? So I, I put myself into my work. And at mm-hmm. least then I could be an object of success for my family instead mm-hmm. of like having to deal with the shit at home. That might be why. It might be. That might be why he goes to crash his car. It might. Be. And then there's that music coming back to this the way the song's structured. Mm-hmm. The lyrics are they start to run up uh, verse five. There's extra lines in it. Goes right through to the next thing, and then we get into the aesthetic of the actual like, crash. There's like a pressure when she sings. Like she, there's more of like a. She's trying to keep keep up with the song as she's singing it too. At this point, yeah, yeah, it's it's Russ. She's brought up into it.
So he's made his decision here Oops. to end it. And he's now he realizes he's at the bottom of the barrel. What have I done? Some people take those situations when everything's been taken away from them. They take those situations and they redeem them. They realize that it doesn't have to be the end. Other people do not see the value or the point in changing. They stay without hope. Mm -hmm. And Tommy, he makes... He tries to redeem his bad situation, as you put it. You know, his his selfish... Right, by crying out to heaven, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of a last resort. Yeah. If you think about it, he tries to redeem it, but only so, only so barely. Uh, but the why is important. Why? And the why will family, actually right? be what keeps him on a good path. Mm. He realizes that his his family matters. No matter what happens, he has to be there for them. Lip service, my friend. Lip service. That's what I think. Yeah. I'm just harsh. You, I'm harsh on Tommy in this song. You are. And you know what? Based on her description, on Anna Tivill's description, um, just a made-up story inspired all the things I read about people with the uh, Occupy website and, where does it say here, uh, people's stories, lost jobs, and difficult situations, and a hope for a movement that could do something to help. Yeah. So... Tommy's let down. Maybe I'm siding with you at this point. He's let down. The system let him down. He's let himself down. He quit on himself. Yeah, and he both. and it's he becomes suicidal. And sure, it might be triggered by the system itself, but he is also choosing to do something reckless. Mm-hmm. I would argue. Yeah. yeah. He definitely does. Now, I do think it's valuable to for everybody to adopt that saying, there's work to do yet. If he had, if Tommy had kept that ethos in the beginning, perhaps it could have prevented him from crashing his car. But there's work to do yet. So I, I quit my job. I still, there's still, I'm still important. I still matter to the world. There's something else that I can do that matters. All right, so some takeaways from Ben Harper's song Morning Yearning, covered by Tom Linton, and Anna Tivill's song Dark Chandelier. What do they have in common? Well, the main in plane, I think, is hopelessness and sorrow, uh, but with a tinge of redemption. There's redemption in both of the songs. And it's not easily gained because it has to come with the recognition of a difficult state. 
a hard place in life. Musically, they're similar. Um, same genre. Lyrically, different. Uh, Morning Yearnings got shorter verses. Dark Chandelier goes on and just really gets into the aesthetic of the scene mm-hmm. a lot with the description of the crash and even repeating sound uh, words like gears and grinding and motor and things like that. Yeah, we started off by saying, like, what's the... Um What's the question we're trying to... What's some takeaway questions, right? I think for me, it's... From both of these songs, it's... it's. What do you love? And... How much do you value that? And I mean that in the most sober way possible. How much do you... In a, the most sober, authentic... Being dead honest with yourself. How much do you value that? thing that which you love in the world and what are you willing to sacrifice for it what does that love give you um, I think there's a common theme of home and home is often associated with love in both of these songs so maybe that's another way to uh, conceptualize it what, is lo- uh, what does home mean to you mm-hmm. and if it is a broken place which I know it is for a lot of people what then what value can you find in it or can you redeem it can you can it be redeemed or can you be a part of that redemption but then if you if you after some honest soul searching and, and looking if you can find that you cannot then ask yourself what kind of home can i build yeah because the homes that we build build our countries. Sound kind of cheesy. <laughs> it could be. I don't. I, I mean, I honestly mean home in like the metaphorical sense. Like, yeah. You know, it's not li- literally a home that you're building, but you know, the 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 sense of like what's the the spirit of the home. The spirit of the home. Like, what are you creating in your life? Now that you've tried to seek redemption in, in the past, in your previous sort of. You know, growing up situation, all that, um, or the home that you've been endowed with. What now? You mm-hmm. know, what are you creating? What traditions are you bringing into your own home, into the home that you are uh, making? You're making this happen, whether you realize it or not. So, what are you, what are you making? Mm-hmm. Ask yourself that. But I mean, mm-hmm. in the most sober, like honest, self honest way you can possibly do. That's at least what I think. Yeah. Takeaways for me, um, or questions, I guess, to ask. It's very similar, I guess. What do we live for, really? And we can know what we live for by looking at where our time goes and then what agitates or angers us the most. What... What rouses us up on the inside? What gets us moving? What gets us out of our seat and activated 